Hey guys, before we get into this episode, I just want to take a quick second and recognize someone super special to me personally and to the Atlanta area. Andy Albright uh, is a true champion, somebody who has been in the door industry for a very long time here in the Atlanta market. He left us uh, in a nasty battle with cancer, and I just want to give a shout out to him and his family and let you guys know that he was incredible. Uh, one of the best people that I know, not only in the door industry, but in general, he reached out to me one day about a year and a half ago and asked if he could meet me for lunch. We sat down and he shared his faith and uh, how much he loved his family and his battle uh, with cancer. And I had heard stories about how he had um, gone in and done work getting out of the hospital from chemo. Uh, and if you've ever known someone uh, who's gone through that, you know how much that plays a toll on their body. This guy went out and did a spring change uh, right out. of Got a phone call while in chemotherapy, left and went and did a spring change. I'm talking a true fighter. Beat it, and it came back and got him. And I just want to let everybody know out there that uh, we love Andy. Uh, be praying for his family. And uh, we lost a true champion in our industry, Andy Albright. And that's uh, hashtag Team Albright. Thank you for everything that you did in our industry. And uh, you made me a better person. Thank you. What's up, guys? This is Ryan with Torch and Talk Podcast. want to welcome on our guest, Tom Wadsworth. How are you, sir? Great, Ryan. Good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you as well. I also uh, have a listener who's joining us today. She's a new employee of Such and Such Media. We have Daisha in the show, in the, uh, the, what are we in? The studio. Oh, my goodness. Can you say, hey, Daisha? Is her microphone hot? Hey, Daisha. So Daisha comes to us um, with a uh, killer background in basketball. Um, and she has uh, told me not to challenge her. I don't know if she's trying to not make me look bad or if she's just really, truly hung it up, uh, but she claims to have retired. And so uh, I've already had one female employee totally expose me on the basketball court. So I'm not beyond the challenge, but, uh, yeah, I know what a college basketball player can do to me. So – uh, welcome to the team, and I figured we'd have Daisha sit in and uh, experience the podcast. It's her first day with such and such media. So, Tom, man, it's been a, it's been a while. We we've been through three seasons. You were my first interview, and I uh, was going through some numbers, and you're you're the first audio only podcast uh, to hit a thousand plays, and you were my first interview, and I just uh, I thought, you know what, let's get Let's reach out to him and uh, to celebrate our thousand plays on audio only. Let's get him on the show. That's awesome. I'm glad that uh, more and more people are taking advantage of this additional opportunity to gain some education and insights into the industry. Yeah, and you always deliver good content. Uh, as most people know, you write for the DASMA uh, Door and Access magazine. And um, last time we talked about the bad bobs, which, uh, you know, good or bad, 
sparked some research on my part and took me down a rabbit trail. And that's been a whole, I could tell you a whole story on that, but, um, Tom, you be proud of me. I, I typically about two, two weekends out of the month, I'll sit on the couch and watch, watch football and call local, uh, spam or even clients, uh, that we have in other markets. I'll go through Google my business and I'll call them to see if they're legit or not. And, um, I literally just play with them. I did it this weekend. My kids think it's hilarious. I now put them on speakerphone. My whole family <laughs> listens in. Um, so I have fun with it. Um, so we, uh, I, yeah, we get things reported all the time. And uh, I think uh, Emma came across a business out in Southern California. And I can't remember. I, I posted a picture of it. There was like almost 30 uh, of the same business name with different Google My Business accounts all within the same area. Uh, it wasn't too difficult to get those removed, uh, so we reported those and they got taken down. But um, any new development from your end since we spoke in Season 1 about uh, Bad Bobs and, and the direction of the spam world from your perspective? Um, good question. I, I know we, we published an article on this, I think. Yes, it was in the, the, the fall issue of the Dasma magazine. I think Vicky wrote about it, didn't this. You? Yeah, Vicky wrote that. I contributed to that uh, as well. We worked on it with her. Uh, and there's been some independent uh, consultants working on gathering that data. Uh, of uh, how many fake listings they are in markets around the country. And it is uh, alarming. Uh, and that's what you were just finding out there as well. Yep. It's a constant battle. We get 10 taken down and 15 pop back up. But uh, at yep. some point, yep. they, it, if it's not worth it anymore, they'll hopefully stop. I think the, the relatively good news is I think that uh, – and you could clarify this for me, but when Google started to crack down on uh, businesses that had a less than good reputation and started to decline their ability to advertise, I think that really put a dent in the problem of uh, these bad businesses getting extensive play through, through Google ads. And uh, but it's still a problem. They're still out there. People still, uh, you know, crack, uh, work through the cracks in the Google system and get their, their name out there and scam people. But uh, I think that the problem has decreased. What do you think? Uh, I would say it, it's it's definitely not decreased in, in, in total. It's shifting. So they're just finding new ways, I think, to do things. Um, I, I feel like Google, uh, I keep track of some of their updates and stuff and they did a kind of like a, a, I think twice sweep across the country where they did eliminate a ton of spam. Um, it's still popping up and I'm not really sure how these places are getting the addresses. Um, but I, I, uh, funny, funny thing is, uh, I got turned on to a couple black hat SEO groups that I've joined incognito. And so now I literally sit in there and listen to their ideas 
and uh, and I'm I'm staying ahead of it. So it's kind of funny, um, but yeah, very cool, very cool. So, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy um, being a spy. It's kind of fun. That's that's great. I'm glad to see somebody is uh, is clandestinely. Uh, seeing what's going on in the dark underworld of the black hat industry <laughs> and how uh, it's how it's affected the garage door industry. Yep. Uh, lots of conversations about buying reviews, uh, being able to get up hundreds of Google My Business listings uh, for very cheap, all, all kinds of stuff. It's crazy. It's a whole marketplace yep. for for. Uh, people I would like to spend a little bit of time alone with in a dark room. So I want to talk to you a little bit about COVID before we jump into uh, what I believe to be kind of our main topic. You wrote an article not too long ago about um, the effects of uh, pandemics on the door industry. And uh, there's a story of one that you wrote about uh, kind of the birth of Rainer, right? Yes, right. It's a very sad well, that story. Was, uh, it is is a hundred years ago, uh, but uh, so it's uh, the sadness is a bit diminished by the expanse of time between then and now. But it was the flu epidemic of uh, the 1918 to 1920 in America that uh, took the life of the mother of the founder of Rainer. Uh, her name was Margaret Houston Nicewander. And uh, living in a small rural town in Illinois, Gibson City, on a farm, uh, the, 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 the flu epidemic started around 1918 and didn't really affect the rural areas as much. It was a problem in the cities, but by 1920, you know, it had creeped its way down into the, uh, into the boonies, into the rural areas and even farms. Uh, you know, back in the 1920s, you're not getting around too much. Right. Uh, but it eventually got got to her and took her life. And um, uh, Ray Nicewander Sr., as he was later known, he was just maybe 12, 13 years old at the time. But uh, he got fed up with uh, his workload on the farm increased. And... Uh, he was really bummed out. And at age 13, he's like a, uh, or maybe it's 15, 15. He's a uh, sophomore in high school. He quits school and says, I'm out of here. And he goes in search of a better life uh, away from the farm. And he's kind of an inventive guy, but deeply, deeply driven. And he eventually, uh, to cut to the quick, he eventually starts uh uh, a garage door company, and uh, the rest is history, as they say. And Rayner, R- Ray Nicewander Sr. is the R-A-Y in Rayner, and N-O-R is uh, Bill Norberg, who was his partner back in 1944 when they started the company. Nice. Now, I just happened to be looking at this article while we're talking, and I don't want to get into politics at all, but uh, it says here that... Um, the influenza, which is our standard flu now, uh, or a variation of the flu that we have now, uh, affected 21 million people, and 500 of those uh, died, right? 500,000, right? 500, Not 000. just 500. Yeah, 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 500,000. So I went over to Google and just looked up 
the numbers for the United States with COVID. And I know we're looking at probably, uh, I don't know what time period. Uh, was that just for that year, I guess, when the influenza hit those numbers? Do you remember? The 500,000? I think, no, that, that, that applies years. to all three years. Three years. Okay. So or three two, years of data. Yeah. I think it says here, 1918 influenza swept across the globe and uh, throughout the nation, the deadliest virus struck fear into the hearts of America after two years of terror. Uh, yeah. So it was two, this is two years of data. So, so can't, can't really go side by side, but it looks like this is going to be similar. Uh, however, we're at 11 million cases in the United States total, which is drastically less than influenza. Um, I think even if we stretch this out over two years, because now we know what we're dealing with, kind of know how to slow it. They're working on um, a vaccine. But the interesting part is we're at 246,000 deaths, which we're not even really sure if that's legit because we've been told by the CDC that they uh, put out some false information purposely. Um, I don't know what the agenda was behind that, but long story short, it looks like this is a little bit different trajectory. Uh, when it comes to total number of cases, but the deaths look like over a two-year period could reflect similar numbers and possibly the total uh, actually could be about the same trajectory as the influenza flu because you got 11 million. We're what, six months in right now? Is that right? Six months and we got uh, 11 million, 246,000 deaths. Uh, assuming these numbers are right. We're on a similar trajectory because I imagine uh, once we get closer to the end of the two-year mark, this should tail off with the vaccines and everything else. But they probably didn't have that back then. Yeah, but they are comparable. To, to look at the 1920 situation and the 2020 situation uh, in terms of the, the the deaths and the number of people affected and the fact that they were both worldwide pandemics uh, – there, there is some legitimate comparison to be made between the two. Yeah, I talk to people a lot, and they, they mention how we've overblown COVID, and I don't really have an opinion either way because I don't really know all the data. But I think in the beginning, you have to overblow it. Like you, this, We hadn't seen something like this before, and I think you, you do. I think the natural thing for us to do is overact a little bit, right, because you don't want to underplay it. So you overplay it as yeah. much as possible until you kind of get a grip of what we're dealing with. And then, and then once you know what you're dealing with, I think you, you attack it the best you can and, and back off the overreaction uh, so we can get to some level of normalcy. Uh, what do you see, um, you know, in all of your research, I know you've done a ton and, and you're a very smart, intelligent person that I trust and, and think you have great opinions. Um, what do you think COVID is going to be like uh, for door dealers over the next 12 to let's say year, year and a half? Well, I, I would guess that it's going to continue to be a problem. I, I originally would have thought that it would be long gone by now uh, back. At least that would have my, my thoughts back in March, but no, it's, uh, it's just, increasing as a problem. And I also, you know, would, would admit that uh, I frankly thought perhaps after the election was over, 
uh, it would amazingly go away uh, as if it was a lot of politically, if, if all the promotion of the disease was politically motivated, but it doesn't appear that's the case at all. And uh, it's a legitimate problem and we're going to have to deal with this and it's just going to get worse for a while until maybe some vaccinations uh, start to take place. But then there's going to be a whole lot of people who resist vaccinations. There's just too much undercurrent of people being anti-vac. Uh, that, uh, that's going to be another issue that also allows the pandemic to continue. So I think, you know, for another year or more, we're going to still be dealing with this. Uh, the degree to which is unknown, but it's, it's not going to go away quickly. Have you seen the movie I Am Legend? with Will Smith. Yes. That is the reason why he's like the only guy left in New York City. A hundred percent. I, I, that movie alone is going to be the reason I am not going to be the first round of vaccinations delivered to the public. I I am (laughs) not going to have it. I mean, let somebody else be the Guinea pig. I am good. I can guarantee you they don't have it all figured out, but they're rushing it. And when you rush things, especially when you have like different DNA and people respond to things differently. I mean, if we start having like zombies, I mean, this is out of all the zombie movies I've seen, this is the perfect setup for a zombie apocalypse. So all my zombie (laughs) friends are probably really excited right now. I am not. I've watched I Am Legend probably too many times and um, deathly afraid that I'm going to be sleeping in my toilet with all the doors shut and the windows closed. So uh, and I only go out at day to, to get food. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you, though. I think it's a very serious problem. Um, you know, I I, uh, I don't know about all the I, – I think there is some political stuff involved with it, but I don't think that's all of it, right? I think um, – all my friends on the right think it was, you know, planted. It was the perfect time to release it. And they wanted to do this to make Trump look bad. And then my friends on the left, they're like, you guys are freaking nuts. This is legit. Like, and and they're wearing like full body suits and stuff like that. So, I mean, you, you got, you, you got a country divided and you have something that's um, everybody's got different opinions on, but for the door industry, I genuinely feel like, um, you know, we got to take it serious and make sure we're treating our employees uh, with the right level of respect, you know, with all different things. Uh, But one thing I know that they're coming out with uh, is a lot of data about uh, pigmentation. Um, You know, we have uh, I've got a really good friend of mine and uh, he got hit really hard and he's black. And uh, my white friends are not experiencing the same level of effect, like um, uh, what is it called, side effects. Um, and when talking to him, his brother's a doctor, and apparently uh, this has hit the black community really, really hard. And um, that's really unfortunate because they've already had a rough year. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things that uh, they're saying DNA and pigmentation play a role in whether or not you're either like asymptomatic or a carrier, or if you have really bad uh, side effects. Right. I don't think that's true with the flu. The flu just affects everybody, right? I mean, I don't really get the flu, but I stopped taking a flu shot like 
10 years ago. And magically, I don't Yeah, know. I keep wondering is this if uh, since I've not had COVID, since nobody close to me has ever had it, I tend to diminish its impact and seriousness. But I've often wondered that as soon as I get it, I wonder if I'm already going to have uh, and quickly going to have a completely different opinion. Uh, it just Very remains possible. to be seen. You don't know until you got it, you know? Yeah, yeah. We have some pretty strict guidelines here. We've had um, three employees uh, at my door company have it, and uh, we were able to uh, mitigate it really quickly, uh, get them out. And um, we, uh, Tisha, who runs our uh, employee satisfaction, uh, department. She's done a phenomenal job of doing all the research and knowing the procedures that we need to take. And, uh, we've been really good at getting people home, staying in touch with them. Um, you know, understanding how long it takes, but they're saying that now people are testing positive like a month to two months after they get it. So you can't really go off of the test anymore. So, uh, they're saying like, Two weeks, you don't have to really get tested to come back. Um, as long as you have no no further symptoms, after two weeks, uh, you're good. So uh, we've got we've got some processes in place, and our employees have to report any symptoms or contact with anybody. And um, you know we don't we don't freak out, but we I think we handle it pretty well. Did the three employees who came down with COVID are they back to work now? Yes, sir. Everybody's one hundred percent good. Good. Yep. Um, so good. And and all of our guys are, you know, we're taking precautions like, you know, keeping six foot distance with customers. And uh, we make it almost impossible for us to ever pass anything to a customer or for us to get it from a customer. So um, we, we play it really smart. And uh, I think it's worked to our favor. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, an article that you just wrote in the fall episode. Uh, really intriguing, kind of a breaking news type of thing, because um, for a very long time, almost 100 years, uh, we've been praising a gentleman for inventing the garage door. But somehow you went back in time and found out that we've been telling a story that's not even fully true. <laughs> yeah, that's basically uh that's that's a good summary. Um CG Johnson, uh the famous CG Johnson uh, has been claimed to be the uh the person who invented the upward acting sectional garage door in 1921 and you know I've read that all my life and uh uh he started Overhead Door Corporation and Overhead Door has been making that claim for a long time. I believe that they've made that claim innocently, not in any way to deceive anybody. Uh, Cause uh, if even from information I've been reading in the 1920s, uh, uh, Johnson was getting that reputation even then. But if you, once you drill back down into exactly what was going on in 1921, and if you look at the patents and you look at the people involved and you look at the name of the company, as it was established in 1921. No, it's much more likely that a guy named Owen Dautrick is the inventor of the upward acting sectional garage door. Uh, and C.G. Johnson became his partner 
as they started, they didn't start the Overhead Door Corporation or the Overhead Door Company. They started Dautrick Johnson Manufacturing Company in 1921 in Detroit. And But within two years, actually probably within just a little more than one year, uh, the two split up. Uh, uh, Dautrick Johnson, or Dautrick went his way and Johnson went his way. Uh, Johnson ended up with the company and Dautrick ended up staying in Detroit and continuing uh, to try to invent a whole bunch of things. He was quite an inventor. But he never experienced the success that the C.G. Johnson did. So that's maybe the the story in a nutshell. But another part of that is that um, it's often been said that C.G. Johnson invented the garage door opener in 1926. But I'm uh, even more certain that that is not the case, that the, the credit for inventing the opener in 1926 goes to Herbert Cady Blodgett, who uh, pitched his patent for a garage door opener to C.G. Johnson in Hartford City, Indiana in 1926. And C.G. Johnson had the vision to see the potential of this. And he brought uh, Herbert Katie Blodgett on staff uh, and actually started making him the president of a new company called Door Control Company. Uh, but it seems that the, that company was quickly dissolved within Overhead Door and uh, Herbert Katie Blodgett became the chief engineer on staff at Overhead Door in Hartford City, Indiana. And um, uh, Johnson continued to, to you know, call the shots. And Blodgett was just a, a, one of these brilliant engineering types that uh, probably was better suited to be inventing and tinkering and engineering rather than leading a company and uh, designing manufacturing systems and marketing and all the things that go along with really driving an entire company. These, these things take a specific set of skills, and uh, Blodgett had the skills to invent the thing, but probably not all the full range of skills it takes to drive a company forward. And that's usually the case, right? I mean, it's true in our industry. We have people who are phenomenal doorbells so. and, and, you know, don't always make the best owners and vice versa owners that don't always make good uh, technicians. So I can't help but to think of the movie back to the future and Dr. Emmett Brown and Marty McFly when I'm talking to you about this, because how in the world do you dig up information from a hundred years ago to disprove something that we thought all was one way and you found proof that it's another. Very good question. Uh, the uh, I have a subscription to uh, two two services that were most helpful in this. One is to newspapers.com, which is uh, an online database of a gazillion newspapers and back issues of newspapers going back into the uh, fully into the 1900s and fully even deeper into the 1800s and even beyond that. Uh, and those involve newspapers throughout the country, actually throughout the world, but mostly it's U.S.-based. And I can now get uh, articles in the newspaper about C.G. Johnson and what was going on with him in in the 19-teens, in the 1920s, and 1930s. You just look up his name and boom, up pops all these articles. Uh, 
And the other uh, subscription I have besides newspapers.com is to simply ancestry.com, uh, a common uh, website for genealogy. And there you can do all kinds of research and look at census data, uh, when, when and where C.G. Johnson was living with each census in like the year 1900 and 1910 and 1920 and 1930 and uh, find out who's in his household at that time. Uh, see what his occupation is listed as on the census data. And there's a variety of other uh, documents that are accessible through Ancestry.com. But you can go in there and find, you know, these original sources of original information. And I'm not relying on somebody else's uh, story of how the garage door industry began, if that his story was written in 1950 or something. That's still 30 years after it happened. I'm, I'm going right back to 1920, to 1921, to, to 1922, and, and digging up all these articles. And I have, um, I've saved all those articles, and it's a large volume of them. And frankly, I also, um, uh, Overhead Door contacted me after I published that story. And uh, uh, to be honest with you, Ryan, I, 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 <laughs> I wasn't really sure how overhead door was going to react to my article because it kind of directly contradicts everything they've been saying about uh, their company and their history, uh, everything they've been saying for the last uh, 90 some years. Uh, but they were very gracious and they actually uh, asked if I could, would share some of my research with them. And I uh, freely uh, gave them the entirety of all these articles, all these documents that includes patents and census and newspaper articles, magazine articles, all that go back to the 1920s that uh, that proved the case. And uh, they graciously accepted that, which I gave it to them for free. <laughs> Maybe the stupidest thing I've ever done. But uh, uh, my, my interest all along has simply been to try to increase uh, knowledge and uh, freely distribute it. Uh, I'm not trying to create barriers to anybody to getting smarter about what's involved in the garage door industry. That's awesome. Uh, I'm looking here at newspapers.com. I assume there's some type of subscription involved, but looks like they're owned by Ancestry. Um, Ancestry seems to be the parent company of newspapers.com. So uh, looks like Ancestry's got a hold of the past pretty good here yes if you have a, a subscription to ancestry.com you automatically get access to a good bit of the newspapers.com database but i have found that by having a separate uh subscription to newspapers.com i have uh, access to a, a larger database so it's it's been helpful if you wanted to just do one of those, just do Ancestry, and you'll get access to a whole bunch of stuff. But it's not cheap. We're, we're talking uh, a few hundred dollars every year to, to, to do that. But if you think about it, for me anyway, um, it's been well worth it. Cool. So one of the exciting things that I didn't really pay attention to much was uh, 1921 at the garage door was invented. I guess the garage door overhead door business uh, was also invented. And we're coming up on a hundred years of garage doors next year. That's right. It's the big centennial for the industry. Yeah. What should we do to celebrate? 
Well, I think that uh, uh, different manufacturers are asking that very same question, especially I think overhead doors should be asking that question. I'm sure that they already have. They probably already have some specific uh, plans in mind for what to do. I, in reality, I think the, 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 net, uh, the net effect or the net um, result of uh, coming up with ways to commemorate the, the, the centennial is to uh, uh, increase the awareness of the general public to the garage door industry, help people think more about their garage door, help people think more about how their garage door can increase the value of their home by adding new styles and designs that are very contemporary and attractive and how it adds to the value of the home, um, the resale value of the home. I think just to get that message out one more way by talking about the centennial is another way to increase sales in the industry to help everybody out. Yeah. I'm looking here at the photo of your, um, the, the mobile showroom per se that, um, Mr. Uh, CG came up with CG Johnson. He was a good bit of yeah. an innovator back in his time. Very smart, but this looks very much like a full view glass door that he put on the back of this model T. Are you looking at the one on page 31 of my article? Yes, sir. Okay, it it's not full view. That those are black panels. Uh, they look like it's uh, it's uh, it's a window, but it's not. Okay. Uh, the top section may have had uh, lights in it, but uh, no, that's that's a hard wood door. Um, yes, right, right there, and, and all. I've seen a number of pictures of these uh, mobile displays. Uh, there have been different ones, but this was uh, this was a remarkably effective marketing technique in uh, the early 1920s when um, to get this idea out so people could see uh, how it would revolutionize the side uh, side hinged uh, barn swing out type door that most people had on their on their garages at the time this idea of having the door lift upward and out of the way was really an innovation that uh, uh, saved time uh, and helped protect the the door and helped to protect your shins <laughs> like for the swing outdoors but so it, it was just and, and you also didn't have to uh, you know get back out of the car and close the doors in the same way you used to. You could just pull it down quickly or lift it up quickly. And one of the things you'll often see in these early ads from not just Overhead Door but other companies is they would have a child using his uh, like two fingers to lift the door. Uh, thanks to the, the springs and the spring counterbalancing, the, the door could be easily opened by anybody. That's, That's not something that the same. side hinged. That's where the saying you should be able to open it with two hands when the door is balanced. I don't even know where I got that from. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Yes. Yes. It was, it was a big deal and it, it communicated quickly. And as an advertisement uh, the average uh, American could quickly see the advantage of this thing. And they would say, I want one of those. And, uh, uh, and off it went. 
And so the, even by the, the 19, 1929, when the Great Depression hit, uh, overhead door sales uh, were still going gangbusters. And the overhead door company in Hartford City, Indiana, was still booming even during the Depression, unlike a ton of other companies. Well, I feel like that could be the case with us here, right? I mean, we got COVID, we got a lot of uncertainty in our country about economy and who the heck our president is. Um, but, you know, for me, I've been in this for five and a half years, um, five, five, a little over five years. And, you know, I've seen good turns, bad turns. We've stayed pretty steady. Like, I don't feel like the economy really, it, we've definitely changed along with it, right? But honestly, like, I don't know, maybe door companies are just at an advantage because people need to get out of their garage. So, I mean, I don't feel like the economy is going to, like, hurt us too bad. And then when we had shutdown, that was, we were slammed uh, because people were working on their homes and, and opening and closing their garage doors a lot. So... I feel like we're a little bit of a dis or a little bit of an advantage. Um, I wouldn't say we're uh, depression proof or recession proof, but uh, I definitely feel like we're more so than a lot of people. No, yeah, uh, yeah. The last five years have been very fortunate for the industry, and but if you you stay in the industry long enough. You are aware of some deep downturns, like back in 2008, there was a serious uh, drop-off in business for the garage door industry when um, this was at the, well, I'm trying to put my mind back in, the, the home uh, mortgage yep. crisis uh, and uh, the sale of new homes dropped dramatically, uh, uh, like it dropped by 70% nationwide is incredible. Um, the building industry came to a, a standstill and it seriously affected every garage door manufacturer and every garage door dealer across the country. And those guys who, who are listening now who were around in, in 2008 will remember how serious it was. And it lasted for a good two years or more. It, it hurt, it hurt bad. People were being laid off like crazy, uh, lots of jobs lost. Um, it, it, it was serious. It, and to the, there's a general principle here that the industry needs to be aware of is, is the economy. And it is, um, is a big factor in the success of the garage door industry. Um, and let me be more specific there. When people stop buying stuff, when they're afraid, uh, consumer confidence is one important economic mark to watch for our industry. Uh, people need to feel confident they go and still buy stuff. And frankly, when this COVID stuff first hit in, in March, uh, you know, February and March, uh, Frankly, I thought this was this was going to happen again. People are going to grab their wallets like crazy, just like they were grabbing toilet paper, and they weren't going to buy anything else. They're just going to, you know, hunker down and uh, stop spending, which would have affected not only the garage door industry but a zillion other industries across the country. But 
to, in my view, to, to his credit, Donald Trump um, handled Wall Street extremely deftly at that time. I don't think people appreciate what how he handled it. He was acutely aware of how Wall Street reacts to things and the long-term effects that could have on the economy. And uh, he, he, he really uh, headed off a uh, disaster uh, early on. And then when the initial uh, checks came out to everybody, you know, that, Wall Street responded positively to that. And the, uh, as well as consumer confidence, the consumers remain confident in the economy. They still do to this day, uh, even in spite of this pandemic going on around us. Uh, it's it, uh, but frankly, under a new administration, I I hope that um, Mr. Biden is uh, is savvy enough to not trash the progress that has been made in keeping consumer confidence and keeping the economy going. Um, that's the big issue, because if if he is not uh, smart about this, uh, your business there, Ryan, as well as every other garage door dealer and manufacturer's business in America had suffered ba- badly because of some mishandling of the economy at uh, crucial times like this. So I think uh, very real possibility, right? Like one of the things that I think frustrated me uh, about Joe Biden's um approach when he was going through um, his campaign was the, I felt like everything was fear and then he was the solution to all the fears. And I felt like it was, seemed very obvious to me. It just kind of frustrated me, uh, especially when he made the statement that um, like this wouldn't even have happened if he was president. Uh, when, When in reality, it doesn't matter who the president was, the virus was coming and uh, you know, I don't think any president is smart enough to be able to tell the future and stop it before it comes in, unless you were part of it. So if he's insinuating he was part of it and he would have stopped it before it came, or if he's just trying to make promises that he really can't keep just trying to make himself look good either way, I don't appreciate that approach um, because I don't think there's any truth to it, but uh, I think the consumer confidence is going to be based on how fearful we are. Um, and like you said, the confidence is uh, my concern is he continues to play fear um, and fear has people not spend as much. And when people don't spend as much, you have the trickle down effect. And now um, I'm prepared, uh, hopefully uh, for, for what's ahead. If, if anything disastrous happens, um, I feel very confident that I'm making the right moves. I'm actually moving forward and um, we're hiring people today. We had three people start one in the marketing company, which um, you guys heard about, and then two of my door company. And uh, we're actually expanding and doing a lot of great things, but uh, I'm doing that in confidence that we're prepared uh, for a downturn if one comes. And if not, we're about to ride it like a wave and have a really good time. So, uh, either way, I'm trying to make decisions that would be good uh, with a good or bad economy, and I think that's uh, every owner should do that. But w- what do you think, um, with your experience and being around for a while, we're getting a lot of background noise uh, on you. If uh, I don't know, can you hear me, Tom? Yes, can you hear um, me? Is is the background noise decreasing at all? Yeah, yeah, it's gone. So if you had to give a prediction, 
here's a prediction for our for our uh, listeners, garage door dealers. Um, do you think over the next year the economy will get better or worse? Frankly, I'm concerned uh, that the Biden administration will not be good for the economy. Um, that I, I would think it's going to get worse. Uh, there, there could be a, a serious downturn coming. We've had a nice expanding economy for a long time, and there's always, uh, after so many years, it's time for a correction. Correct. Uh, these 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 periods of of growth and expansion don't last long. They never have. Uh, you're lucky to see them go 10 years even before there's a correction. Uh, so I would think one is coming. Uh, it, it, it will come eventually. Uh, and with the pandemic affecting things and them talking about a lockdown and shutting down this, that, and the other thing, I, man, I, I don't see how it can be avoided. And I would think it'd be coming sooner rather than later. Well, I think you're, you are smart for your business to be planning, to be aware of the possibility of a downturn and make sure that you are able to survive it either way. Yeah. I mean, fingers crossed. I don't know what I don't know. Right. Like we're doing the best we can, but, uh, I, I feel like we're making very strategic moves and, and I would encourage all of our listeners, uh, and followers to, to, you know, I think there's decisions that you can make in good and bad times. Um, you know, the people that really capitalize in down markets are buyers. People who capitalize in great times are sellers. And I subscribe to that mentality. And so I'm, I'm, I'm like a squirrel. I'm saving up the nuts in the good times. And then during the bad times, I'm, I'm eating, getting fat. Um, so I think there's always opportunities uh, in good or bad economies. It's just the way that you, you're going to have to shift your business, change your model. You know, you, you got to adjust and adapt to what, what you can get. And, and you may be new door heavy in great markets and you may be very repair heavy in down markets. Maybe you start selling parts to DIYers because uh, as I've mentioned on here before in 2008, do the research 2008, 2010, look at the increase in automotive parts sales absolutely through the roof. And, uh, and then you, you look at uh, Google trends and do a search for garage door repair. And, and uh, I think you can do an all time search or not garage door repair, uh, garage door parts. Um, let me just pull this up real quick. Google trends. These are all things that, I mean, as business owners, you have to be aware of, uh, what are opportunities that you can make money still and I know people are like really weird about selling parts for some reason. Um, but I mean, people are doing, you got Home Depot, Lowe's, all kinds of. So if I go back and I change from 12 months to 2004 to present, the biggest spike, which is by far, it's absolutely huge. 2009, uh, roughly January of 2009 is like 3x what it is right now on searches uh absolutely insane amount of searches for garage door parts uh back then and then it it goes down stays steady a little bit uh goes back up around 2010 not nowhere close to 2009 
then drops dramatically in 2010. Um, and then it's, it kind of like has its up and downs, but it's con- gradually getting less and less. Uh, and I, I think we're going to see that go back up with the help of YouTube and DIY videos, uh, being able to get parts easily accessibly online. I think, um, you know, I, I, I suspect that part sales will go up dramatically. So if you're in the parts game, uh, I think that's a part of your business. It's great margin, uh, low overhead, and you already stock it. So um, I think it's a great opportunity. So th- those are some of my things that I do um, to kind of uh, recession-proof my business. Yes, uh, you, you are measuring searches for garage door parts, right? Yeah, because, I mean, that's about all the data that I could get unless you got other... Uh... Sure. No, no, no. I, but I think uh, I'm thinking 2009, man, I know that the industry was hit hard then. Uh, it could be that people couldn't find garage door parts uh, and they're just trying to find no, any supplier that would be able to provide them at that time because the economy was seriously hurt. Yeah, so what do you think uh, right I'm now? Not think, I'm not thinking that... Should what we do be I trying right to now? gobble up doors? <laughs> As I understand it, uh, most uh, manufacturers are a, little, are a bit behind their normal uh, shipping uh, uh, timelines, right? Uh, have you had difficulty getting a product from your manufacturer? So we use about 10 different manufacturers and everybody's definitely behind what they used to be. But uh, we, you know, I think if you set the expectations with customers, then they're usually pretty good about it. But I also think now is a good time to probably stock up. Yeah, if you can. Yeah. Uh, but it, even if you stock up, you're, the benefit's going to be short lived. Um but yeah, I, I guess I wouldn't caution people to start stocking up. Uh, it, the thing is just to be smart about your business, uh, making sure you've got a good market share in in your market, uh, making sure your reputation reputation in your market is is what it needs to be. Uh, return business is is crucial to the success of any long term business. And uh, there are too many door dealers who are out for the quick buck and who are ripping people off on with grotesque uh, uh, repair prices. And they're not thinking about long term. They're not thinking about their reputation over the long haul. They're just thinking about the quick buck. Uh, it's in a down market where people gain market share. Uh, that statement's been made a zillion times, and it's true. It is true. Uh, we're not in that down market yet, but we're if it, it will be coming, and you just got to be thinking about how you're going to be positioning your business to succeed and to gain market share even in a down market, and that's usually through marketing and through uh, working on the, the, the back office systems. Uh, the one thing that the just quickly mentioned this that COVID has um, made us aware of is the the benefits of making your business uh, touchless for the customer, where you can now, I've seen a, a number of uh, door dealers who are now uh, offering payment online 
instead of give this you know the this hand-to-hand exchange of a check or a credit card uh, in person make uh, get online payments uh, uh, make your business more efficient in that way through these very simple uh, and easy ways to improve your business and make it ready for the future because uh, it will be the companies that uh, are that build in those kinds of efficiencies and customer friendly practices that do succeed in the future yep I agree wholeheartedly and I'm going to shamelessly point out that you said marketing uh, just because I own a marketing agency and we are ramping up because I do believe we're headed for a downturn. And when people are in a downturn, what do they do? They look for ways to separate themselves and marketing agencies um, are a, uh, a good way to do that. So um, anyway, just for anybody out there listening and bored, give me a shout. We're taking new clients. Shameless plug. All right. uh, Listen, Tom, you are amazing. Lots of good feedback. I really appreciate you coming on to the show. I think people are going to learn and um, keep doing what you're doing. I love the articles that you've read. Uh, I know last time when you were on the show, I told you I was going to implement something that you suggested to us and we did implement it. So now when we give quotes out, we give the three options. Uh, Here's what we're here to do. You called us out here to get your door working again. Um, the, uh, second option was, um, preventative maintenance. So we can get your door operating. And there's a couple other things that we saw, uh, that may go wrong during this period of time. And, uh, here's the quote for that. And then, um, uh, I think the performance option was the third one. So my guys offer the, get it going, uh, get it going in maintenance and increase performance, uh, that's the approach we took, and it's actually helped us increase our average uh, repair ticket uh, by presenting it that way, which has been really nice. Yeah, give customers the option. I can't claim uh, ownership of that idea. It really comes from the automobile industry that uh, was facing uh, ripoff automobile mechanics that uh, they went back to the drawing board and tried to figure out, okay, well, what should we be doing with customers instead of just automatically replacing stuff because you think it ought to be replaced or because you made a lot of money when you replaced it. it you give cust- you, you're totally open and honest with the customer about what, what's wrong with the door or what's wrong with the car, uh, what, uh, what it really needs right now, absolutely essential to bring it back to operation or the other option. It's sort of the good, better, best approach and just let customers make the decision for themselves. So if they want to spend more money, let them make that decision. Don't force it on them. Right. And so the, the automotive industry has been through this already. Now, why don't we, we have a lot to learn, I think, just by watching what that huge industry has done over the last several decades and, and learning from their mistakes and from their, their successes. So I came from automotive, saw their mistakes, lived them for a long time. And uh, I think that's helped me run my business better. So uh, love hearing your ideas. And uh, like I said, we told you we'd implement that. We did implement it. And we saw an immediate uh, growth in our average ticket because we were upfront, honest, and explained exactly what the packages included and gave them the option. Uh, No pressure. And uh, people loved it. So 
that was a great uh, that was a great tip from you, and helped make me money. Another great free tip from Tom Wadsworth. <laughs> I'm just learning to pass it along what I've learned elsewhere. Well, you're making the industry better, and we appreciate it. Tom, thank you so much. Keep writing those incredible articles and keep me posted on things. And uh, we're definitely going to have you on the show again. Congratulations to being my first ever interview. And not only my first interview, but my first thousand download audio only episode. I keep saying audio only because we did some video podcast uh, on audio and those uh, saw dramatically better numbers through Facebook. But um, I think there's good reason for that. Not, not necessarily the content, but it was the COVID time. Um, but it also attracted a lot of people outside the garage door industry. So anyway, thank you so much. I appreciate your content uh, and all the stuff that you shared with us today. If um, if anybody has any great ideas on some articles, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, just send me an email. It would be the best way, prw at tomwadsworth.com. Um, and, you know, you go, go to the DASMA website. There's just an enormous treasure trove of past articles that we've that we've been writing and others uh that are available and uh, most of these issues have been dealt with at one time or another over the last 20 years and we've got 20 years of archives uh, at the website and those can help out people as well but ryan it's been great to talk to you wanted to say and thanks to daisha for joining us today and it's always good to hear from you ryan i wish you well thank you sir have a wonderful day you too. Bye. Bye.